Welcome to Scats Chats, your destination for inspiration. Each episode, I chat with mental health professionals and everyday people just like you and me to talk about various wellness topics and the human experience. Get ready to feel inspired with another episode of... So today on Scats Chats, I have Luke Greenheart, who's joining us all the way from the north of Spain, which is so cool. I love how we can connect from anyone in the world with Zoom. So Luke, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I appreciate you being here and, you know, willing to share your story today and how you kind of, you know, went through this childhood trauma, if you will, and how it kind of shaped your life today and the coaching work that you do today. So I will hand it over to you to give you a little bit of, you know, time so you can introduce yourself and say a little bit more about what you do. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate being here and grateful for your audience for listening and yourself and just having this space, like you said, to be able to share in an instant. It's beautiful. If no one even listens, I get to connect with you right now. But the fact that it can be recorded and others can listen and gain from experiences. So, yeah, congratulations on creating a platform for people to be able to share. I'm excited to share more about myself. And like you briefly mentioned, I had quite a traumatic childhood. I grew up in the UK, just south of London, Mm -hmm. uh, in quite a big city. But my mum was developing severe mental illness during my childhood. So that was very impactful, (laughs) to say the least. And she had severe schizophrenia, depression, bipolar, and they kept diagnosing different things. But to put it simply, her behavior wasn't normal. (laughs) And she wasn't able to care properly for myself and my brother. And we became her carers, really, for most of our lives. And yeah, that developed me into what I do now, working with people on their health and well-being, but specifically the mental health aspect interests me because it was a major part of my life with my mother, but also my own issues, developing depression and suicidal issues for the earlier part of my life and for quite a long part of my life. But to be clear of that now, uh, I like to share and connect with people to try and see who I can serve, who I can aid in that journey. I love that. I love how your, your like, you know, past experience and growing up and all those things that you've been through have kind of inspired, you know, you to help other people and kind of, um, like, as people say, kind of like, uh, like continue that, that chain of like, um, kindness or, um, there's, there's some, some saying, I can't think of it right now, but kind of continue, you know, that, that inspirational chain and kind of helping other people based on what you've been through too, so that people have the resources and, you know, they can realize that people are here to help them throughout their journey, whatever hard, you know, hardships or trauma that they're going through as well. So that's really inspiring that you do that. Very cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's uh, for me, and it's a process, everything is a process, obviously, but mm-hmm. I never thought years ago that I would be even talking about my mom's health, my health, the mental aspect, like it was something that was forbidden, uh, scary, and really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say the words my mum's ill without breaking down and crying when I was younger even in my 20s early 20s it would just destroy me to even try and vocalize it so it was yeah. a process to get to it whereas now I see all them experiences as my gifts and I can use them instead of them using me for years mm. all that experience just used me you know and I was constantly being sort of triggered by it and used by it 
Whereas now I'm like, I'm taking it. I'm taking that opportunity from that event to share, to serve. And that then makes this experience useful. So now I'm using it. And that's how I found, putting it simply, <laughs> changed that process very dramatically for me. So I could talk about it, I could share, I could help people and see other people grow from it as mm -hmm. well as myself. Yeah, exactly. I like where you said that you, um, something to the effect of that you didn't let it control you, like you were controlling it and you kind of took ownership over what was happening and uh, like changed the narrative as, as some people like to say too, whereas like, okay, you're going to step out in front of this and be successful and learn things from it that will continue to help other people. So I did want to ask you too, um, if I may, around what age, I guess, was your mom, I guess, diagnosed? And um, like, I'm trying to get a sense of like the age range that you and your brother, right? Your brother were um, when you, I guess, were dealing with this in, in your guys' life. Well, I can't give the exact date or, mm -hmm. or the diagnosis exactly because I was very young. So my parents split at about five. Mm -hmm. and I remember about seven I was having suicidal thoughts and I was thinking of taking my life because it was too hard too strange and just painful and continuous so I know just from that that somewhere between sort of five and seven years old for me my mom was really ill I have no memories of her in a normal state I saw it constantly get worse but even my earliest memories she wasn't 100 percent. there was lots of things that didn't make sense lots of strange behavior patterns and things she did and later in life speaking to my dad about it it seemed that their actual breakup was when her mental illness was developing and he didn't know how to help her and she left him mm. he never wanted to he was trying to help her but he was completely lost as to what was going on mental health then nearly 30 years ago wasn't as talked about let alone there wasn't the internet there wasn't places to go to really find out information mm -hmm. so he didn't know what to do um he even said to she died last year literally a year to this week and he said the whole time he said he never lost love for her he was always in love with her because it's just painful that it happened mm -hmm. and that was something we didn't talk about much until i was older because i had to talk about it with my dad he couldn't talk about it without being really emotional he still can't to be honest um because it's something that was really painful for him so it's like that process but it started when i was say my memory five she was developing it maybe a little early yeah but it was severe by the time i was seven and mm. it just got more and more intense all the way up until she passed it was just continuous it never got better it had waves it was ups and downs but the downs were extreme and the ups were just still not good <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah definitely and i guess what i'm wondering too for those out there who are maybe not experiencing exactly the same thing that you went through in your childhood, but maybe know someone who has a mental illness, not necessarily a family member, but how to kind of emotionally deal with that process. And I know that you mentioned previously that you have obviously, you know, uh, worked past this and you can talk about it now with people without getting too emotional. So I'm wondering how was that process like for you? And obviously it T it took you a long time, I'm sure, to, you know, go through this and work through this and maybe, you know, go through therapeutic um, services or whatnot. But I guess, how did you, how did you come to the fact where you are or come to the place where you are now to be able to talk about it or talk about her and kind of go back to those memories, if you will, without getting too overly emotional and putting yourself back into that time where you were still de dealing with her? Yeah, so 
again trying to compress all that time like for mm -hmm. me really from 2015 uh, maybe well, let's think about it. i'm trying to think what year it is now 22 so maybe yeah. three or four years three years maybe during that process i was doing a lot of work towards myself and taking care of myself for the first time really i would say in my life because i done things to look after my body i went to the gym i exercised i was really conscious about what i ate and i tried to always diet and stuff but i did it not really for me i was doing it because i was a carer for my mom because i had people mm -hmm. that i cared about i was trying to keep myself in optimum production for others but not for my own life mm -hmm. and i didn't realize i was doing that i didn't realize i was just caring for others while inside i was falling apart even my body was, i was getting chronic fatigue i had insomnia for years i had a lot of physical pain and just crazy tiredness and i really had to push myself and it took a process of awareness to actually see that that internal voice that i had wasn't nice and mm. i call it an internal dictator mm. that voice that was within me commanded me and demanded me to do actions and it sort of said, if it wasn't for the pain, you wouldn't be doing this. You've got to do it. You've got to do better. You can do a better job. And it was always pushing me. And it was like, if you don't act, it's like you're getting whipped. There was no encouragement. I realized it wasn't a voice of love and nurture. And I, I look at it now and I'm like, if you had a kid and he's got a puzzle, a young child, and he's sorting out a puzzle. And one person comes in and shouts at him, tells him, you must do it. You have to do it. You're useless if you don't do this. It's more than likely, one, the kid's going to be really anxious, tight, and might cry. He might throw the puzzle on the floor. Yeah, but he's not going to get, say, the best job. You're not going to get the best out of the child. Someone coming in is like, you got this. You can do it. You're great. I know it doesn't matter if you don't finish it. I'm enjoying watching you do it. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. That kid's probably going to finish the puzzle quicker, faster, and enjoy the process. And I see my voice like that. So the internal voice, if it's not encouraging, loving, supportive, and constructive... You're going to feel terrible all the time while you're doing anything, whatever mm -hmm. the task is. And everyone's got a task. You know, it could be small, big, but, but we're always problem solving. We're always trying to figure stuff out. But if we're not doing that with an encouraging internal voice, then we must have the opposite. So it's taking time to notice that. And I have a method within my practice I call the WTF method. And it's mm -hmm. a practice I developed because I was doing like meditation and doing different things, but I kept finding I was in and out. And I was only getting a sort of result when I was in the process. As soon as I come out of the process, I was back to where I was, mm. you know, and it wasn't really getting me uh, sustainability or consistency. So I was like, I need to figure out a different way. I need to figure out a more optimum way for myself. And it was within that process. And the WTF stands for witness, thoughts, feelings, not the mm -hmm. other thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it's about just taking 10 minutes a day. Because again, if your time, everyone's time, and when you're in a really bad place, it's really hard to sit still or concentrate for a long amount of time on yourself because it can be painful or it can be, you've got something else to do. Mm -hmm. So it's to sit down for 10 minutes, try and silence absolutely everything, put your body really comfortable. But in that time, notice just what thoughts arise and come up, what the words are saying, what tone that voice has. And then afterwards, just write down what was the most reoccurring thought that you had, what mm. words were used. And you do that, say, for a week or for two weeks, then you look back at that pattern and see, is there a consistent chain of thoughts that are the same throughout that whole two weeks? And maybe they're running in the background and that's like programming that's running there. So then you try and write down the complete opposite of whatever them words are that are in a most encouraging, loving way. And you affirmate them to yourself, so either verbally out loud or just repeat them in your head. 
And I look at it, do you know, like when you get your phone now and you start typing and mm. it predicts what you're going to write. And if you were to say, if you were to write Apple every, every day, loads of times, yeah, as soon as you put an A in your phone, it's going to suggest Apple. Mm -hmm. yeah, so our past is like that. It's triggered by these responses that the things that have happened and how we've reacted, the nervous system predicts that pattern before you've done it. So you can be triggered because it goes instantly into that nervous state of going, right, that's the pattern I recognize. So we have to counter that balance. So we have to put in the conscious effort to say like, now I'm going to type avocado, but I have to type it a thousand mm -hmm. times before it stops recommending Apple and recommends me avocado. You know, so it's just the reprogramming of that balance of that intelligence and the, the pre-patterns that we've been in for years. So it's just that consistent work. And the way I look at it now is what I try and do is visualize myself 10 years ago. How could I get me to where I am now faster? Because obviously it's trial and error along the way. So I'm always trying to opt to it. I'm just like, that's all, all I'm thinking because I only know what I did and how it worked for me. And then maybe that'll work for someone else. And from when I've worked with people, that seems to give faster results and they get to places quicker than I did because I'm giving them a slightly more precise way of doing it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. That's a good way to look at it with the, with like the, the predictive typing, I guess. Yeah. It's like a, yeah. like, like a conditional type of thing. Yeah. Cause we're all conditioned through experience, through mm -hmm. TV, media, through whatever the patterns are. And I often tell people they don't think that these things make an imprint on us, but you have every single memory you've ever had is all within you. So mm -hmm. if you're saying Nan, I don't know if this is true, but if your Nan say baked apple pie when you was a child, and you're walking along one day and someone, you smell an apple pie, you'll be taken to a memory of your, mm -hmm. your Nan and that apple pie. It, that was within you, but you're not thinking about it. You know, it's something stimulated it. And then that memory comes to surface. So every memory is there and all the bad ones are there. And sometimes they come to surface and they're triggered by an event. So lots of people get triggered, you know, but yes. based on that, again, and it comes down to their nerves and their nervous system and how it's firing off, but it is something that can be trained. It is something that can be unwound and unconditioned. Hmm. Very interesting. And I like the point too, where you, it was a while back, but the internal dictator, I, I thought that was really a good way to kind of put uh, a name or like a label on like negative self-talk so i like that because obviously when we think about dictators too it's like you know just all full of pessimism and like not necessarily pessimism but like force and like um like aggressiveness and we don't we don't want to be aggressive with ourselves we want to be you know gentle with our process and and the way that we go about life too um and when we want to achieve something but I do like the fact also with um, with meditation, like I notice during when I meditate sometimes that, like you mentioned, like sometimes I'm not necessarily like in it, like I hear whatever the person is saying, but it's like I'm still like in the back of my mind, like these thoughts are still kind of like ruminating, if you will, back there. So that's interesting to where you mentioned that people should write that down to necessarily say or necessarily think that, okay, what was I actually thinking during the meditation when I wasn't really paying so much attention to the meditation? So that's something that I guess I could take away from that. But yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. And with that, it's like when we have them reoccurring thoughts, say we're sitting there and we're trying to sit still for 10 minutes and then you're thinking, right, I've got to do this. After this, I'm going to do that. And you're like, no, no, I'm just trying to be still for a moment mm -hmm. in silence. And then it's like, you know, oh, I haven't got time for this. And then it's like, you haven't got time for yourself. 
Mm. You know, you haven't, you haven't got time for it. So you're not prioritizing your own well-being. You're not prioritizing your own body, your mind, your, your well-being, your health and your life. You know, so then that shows you an issue that you're not taking, you're not putting yourself first. And in order to be of better service to your loved ones, to your children, to your parents, whoever it is, or a partner, you need to be the best version of yourself with the most energy and the most pleasant. If you're not pleasant, you'll lose all them anyway. So they won't want to see you as much. Mm -hmm. So if you love them, you want to be pleasant and you want to have energy. And to do that, you have to serve yourself. You have to make sure you're taking care of yourself in the best way you can. And sometimes that's just silencing yourself and sitting comfortably. And again, when it comes to like meditating, a lot of people try and sit cross-legged and their back hurts and they're, they're all <laughs> agitated. They're moving and stuff. And it's like, yeah. that's stress. If your body's in that much pressure, put some pillows and lay down. You know, it's about just taking off as much pressure as possible. Mm. As I suffered depression for about 20 years. You know, and I see depression as too much pressure. So you need to depressurize your system. And that means taking all the pressure off your body as much as you can, the physical body, make sure it's comfortable, whether that's just relaxing the body or going and getting a massage or getting your spine and nervous system adjusted by chiropractors, osteopaths, anything that takes pressure off the system yeah, of your body. And then the mind needs to have pressure off it. So that's like, like you said, the meditation, the silence, the mindfulness, different things that you can do towards calming that mental state. And then there's what do you consume? What do you eat? Is it overstimulating? Is it too much? That all takes process. You, know, you eat a meal and it has at least five ingredients, but each one of them ingredients is made up of all the vitamins and minerals that your body has to break down and process. That can be a lot of stress because it's a lot of work. So sometimes minimalizing your food every so often, like I often get some people to choose their favorite uh, fruit and one day a week to go sit wherever a nice location. So say one person I had, it's a park. She loves to read books, loves to go to the park, doesn't do it that often. I was like, what's your favorite fruit? She's like, pineapple. So just take some mm -hmm. pineapple, go sit in the park, take a book, spend an hour, half an hour with yourself, and only eat that during the day. One ingredient that you enjoy, that's clean, you know, and also you stim so you're getting your mind, you're getting the movement, and you're lowering the consumption. That's going to take loads of pressure off. And over a month, you might do that four times, but that's so much more than what most people do in a year to take pressure off you know mm -hmm. especially in the world of self-improvement self-development we put so much on ourselves to do so much to learn so much we start educating ourselves and that's information that's tiring who doesn't remember going to school and being tired with lesson after lesson after lesson of trying mm -hmm. to learn everything you get tired you go home and you're just like knackered you know so learning itself is a is a stressor if you're doing it too much so yeah. sometimes it's like taking that break but within that break, actually letting your body break, letting your mind break, letting your input break, and just letting that all rest so your system can rejuvenate. Yeah, very interesting. I I need to take that advice for myself too, because I think that when as a young person too, and I'm starting to like develop my career and you know, I have all these things that we as adults like need to do. You know, we need to get enough money to buy the house. We need to find someone and get married by our 30s and all these things that we feel like we we need to do we need to kind of rush towards and do by a certain time too that can maybe also feel like pressure as well you know to kind of um do what maybe what everyone else is kind of achieving externally and maybe we're on a different path and we just need to connect with back with ourselves and realize like what is the thing that we actually really truly want to do and we truly 
you know, will make us happy at the end of the day too. So I think that like, um, racing, you know, to like, what am I, I'm, I'm trying to like wrap up my thoughts, I guess, but racing to kind of achieve these, these goals in life or like these milestones in life, if you will, can maybe put a lot of pressure on people as well. Do you think that is kind of true? hundred percent. It's mm -hmm. the more ambitious we are, the more pressure we add because, and it doesn't have to be that way. That's exactly how I was for most of my life is I was always ambitious because I always wanted to change my situation. Mm -hmm. You know, I came from a really poor background. I had loads of stress and life just wasn't comfortable. And I, I looked externally at everything and I was like, anyone in my position would be miserable. Anyone would feel terrible anyone would question their own life in this situation and that's what i assumed because that's what i was looking at you know and it was like right one day when i get to 30 years old i'm gonna have sorted everything out i'm gonna have got my career stable i'm gonna have made enough money that i can like provide better health care for my mom even if that's a, a someone that can do all the little jobs i was doing so my time's more freed up i'm gonna have a couple of kids i'm gonna have all these things yeah. And as I lost more and more things as I went through my 20s, none of that was, I could see it's not going to happen. All the pressure got worse because I was like, mm. I know now I'm not going to get the things I've been focusing on for five years, seven years. Because the time's got too short. There's no way I can do it now. I'm nearly there. You know, I had I'd already been divorced when I was 25. And I was like, I thought I would have kids. I wanted to have my first kid at about 21. I'd already planned it. I was like second kid at about 25. And I'd have my third one before I'm 30. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm now 30, what am I, 35, and I've got zero kids. You know, mm -hmm. And that's my number one thing I wanted from since I was, I don't know, since I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, And as it got closer and closer, that was so painful because I had set myself on the expectation that when I get them things, that's when the good feeling will arise. Mm -hmm. but when I get in there and I know I'm not going to get it, that's like telling yourself, right, you're never going to feel good. You're never going to get it, so you're not going to feel what you was wanting. Whereas now what changed for me and what I try and help other people with, and it's a difficult concept to grasp, but once you practice it, you start to feel it. And it's about practicing unconditional love. And that unconditional love is for yourself, that you love yourself with no conditions. And that's your body and your mind. It doesn't matter its behavior. It doesn't matter if it does well or not. So if your body can't get up, you don't judge it for it. You have no conditions. And if you have no condition on it, there's no expectation. And if there's no expectations, there's nothing to measure to judge. Yeah. And you'll be more ambitious, but you won't fear the failure. You won't be hesitant because you're like, you're just in that unconditional space of mm -hmm. you act more productively, but you're not chasing the feeling. You're not doing it because you're going to feel good. You're doing it because you just know it's what you want to do. It's no longer, like I said, that in internal dictator saying, do this. And then I'll give you a little bit of bread. Do this and then I'll give you a little sweet. Do this and then that, you know, that reward system. And again, we were educated on that same system. Mm -hmm. You went to school and you got rewarded only if you've done good. So you're constantly set on that expectation and that pressure. And you see how many, how many young people are stressed out with exams in university, all these things, because they feel like they're going to fail, even if they're trying their absolute best. You know, and there's, it's a mm -hmm. lot of pressure. Whereas if they open themselves up, just going like, I'm trying my best, love what I'm doing. If I fail, if I pass, I'm just going to just adapt and look for another way. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up, but I'm not going to set myself that that's the sort of be and be, be an end all. Is that the way? <laughs> it's not be all myself. end all? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I think yeah. That, yeah. That phrase. <laughs> I'm not going to set myself that I have to wait for something before I feel good. And you start developing the feeling in the moment 
so that then within that moment you're more productive and it's back to that kid in the puzzle if he mm -hmm. feels good he's going to do a better job at the puzzle yeah as well as just feeling good which is nice so we chase things to feel good but it's not going to stop him doing the puzzle because he f feels good it's like if you were in a really good mood and you're having a great day and your friend comes and asks you to do something yeah you're going to be like yeah i'm i'm with you i'm coming i'm doing it and if you're in a miserable state and your friend comes and you'll be like oh, i don't know not today mm -hmm. yeah, so how we feel dictates our production level so if we're ambitious we need to feel good to be productive to actually drive ourselves to them ambitions it's not having no ambitions and being some people think oh being present being in the moment feeling love feeling joy means not doing anything you know not having any goals not having any future and for me it's like no you have the biggest vision of your future you can but you love now so that mm. you can actually drive yourself towards it and if you don't get there you don't actually care because you knew you was just doing your best, you're trying your hardest, and you're just being as pleasant as possible, as kind as possible, as compassionate as possible. Mm -hmm. yeah, if it doesn't go that way, that's life. You know, I think COVID showed that to everyone that some things are yeah. out of our control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah, that's a great point that I didn't really think of, and I think a lot of people do do have that mindset of, okay, when I achieve this, then I'll be happy. Then I can have the free time to do. X, Y, and Z, whatever that may be. So that's very interesting is like you, like be, you know, happy and like now so that you can be in a better mood to be productive. And that's very interesting. See all these things that you're saying for other people, like I'm taking for my own advice too, because I feel like I need all of this too. So I appreciate that. And I think also no matter what your external circumstances are, and if you're if you are, if anyone out there is dealing with someone, um, a loved one with a mental illness too, um, it, you know, doesn't matter what your your outside external conditions are, you need to make yourself kind of the the center of, like you said, your unconditional love, and be the person, be kind of like a, a nurturing person too. Maybe be the mother. Because my therapist always says, like, be a motherly figure towards yourself and, like, be nurturing in that way and be kind to yourself and, obviously, to remove that internal dictator, um, you know, negative self-talk to yourself. But I think the the way of looking at it being a nurturing mother toward yourself is maybe, um, maybe is helpful for people to, like, grasp that concept, too. Yeah, well, you got this. Um, I was talking with my love, Danielle, about the practice of and this was only yesterday and i was saying about taking that time to nurture and love your body mm -hmm. and we have a cat cat who's been poorly and she's holding it and she's cuddling it and i said you hold it and cuddle it because you want to give it love and nurture and affection i said when was the last time you just held yourself mm -hmm. and just thought about that you love yourself and the same when you think if you had a child, I don't know if you do or not, but if someone listening has a child or they was a child at one point and their parent every day said to them, I love you, I love you, I love you, but they never hugged you, they never touched you, would you feel loved? Mm -hmm. Not really. Whereas if they just hugged you and they never said the words, I loved you, but every day they grabbed you and hold, held you tight, you'd be like, ah, oh, they really loved me. So a lot of the self-love world is all about affirmation and it's the mind overpowering constantly. The mind loves its own self more so so the thoughts it can get a bit dictating but the body then gets neglected doesn't mm -hmm. actually feel the love you've got to balance your mind and your body but the mind's got to show the body some love 
You know, so sometimes it's the touch, sometimes it's having a bath and nurturing the body and while you're in there, just realizing this body is the only consistent thing you will have in this lifetime. It's the only guarantee is that body will stay with you until you die. Everything mm -hmm. else may disappear. People may lose, leave, hurt you, but your body's going to do its absolute best job to serve you to the best of its ability every day. Some days it might struggle, but it's trying, it's doing its best. You know, so it's just like right, appreciating the body for what it is, you know, mm -hmm. and not comparing to other people and going, oh, well, I've got legs and that person hasn't. So I should appreciate my legs. It's like, no, it's just appreciate you now for now, not to compare, not to make judgments, just being like, oh, this is mine and I love it. I'm going to do my best to take care of it. Maybe I did put some junk in it on the weekend or whatever, but mm -hmm. I'm going to do better or I'm, I'm, I'm going to be extra nice during the week or something, you know, just making sure you're being in that moment to actually love and nurture the body. I love that. Yeah. And all of this, like this concept of, of um, holistic wellness and things like that too. If people want to learn more about that or get in contact with you and ask you questions or, cause I know you have coaching services and you even have your own podcast too. So where can people out there find you, Luke? Yes, I have a, I have a podcast and a YouTube channel and that's the best place for people to just find me. If you just put Luke Greenheart, on YouTube, you'll find I interview people very similar to this on their life, their story, their journey from from their childhood to whatever they're doing now and why they do it and why they're passionate, mm -hmm. as well as there's lots of videos. There's more so a couple of years ago when sort of the pandemic started, I put a lot of content out about depression and suicide because that's something that I had experienced personally in many ways. So I was like, I need to share that with people. I need to talk about that. What worked for me might work for someone out there because I saw that just was growing so much in that time. Uh, and then I just talk a lot about my own journey and my own life. So there's a lot of personal stuff on there. Someone might resonate or find something of use. Uh, I have two websites, lukegreenheart.com, and that's where it sort of links to the podcast, to YouTube, about me and some other bits. And then coachgreenheart.com mm -hmm. is for my coaching services. Uh, and I just started a new group coaching that I'm starting like this month where I'm doing a really affordable session so people can come in at a very, very cheap price for like a little, I think the 15 euros a month to come into a, a private group of me. And what, I've, what I saw was needed is a lot of people have support. They have a family or they have friends or they have loved ones. Some people don't, you know, but most people have a little bit of a support system, but they don't have an encouragement system. People don't always share their dreams, their ambitions, their struggles, where they want to go, why they want to get there. But once you do and you have other people around you that know that, you can actually encourage each other as well as go through tools and tactics and things to actually mm -hmm. build yourself into a better place. Like I said, breath work and movement and all different things that align you. But having a space of actual people that are wanting to grow, wanting to develop, wanting to feel life in a more joyful, loving way, you know, then you can encourage each other because you know what you want and they know what you want. So I find that group sort of setting to me is like a, a, an encouragement space, but I can also then teach people through there, through one-to-one -one sessions and, and group sessions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's the power of community, right? People, I think people, when they're in a group of other individuals going through the same thing, I feel like they feel more comfortable um, just sharing or expressing however they feel or things like that. So I love that you have that um, that group and that method for people to have a different sort of way of connecting with others and, and getting, you know, uh, guidance from you as well. So that's awesome. So we will put all that information in the episode description so that people can view that. And um, Luke, again, thank you so much. It was great chatting with you and, you know, learning more about 
just how to take care of you. And that's so important. And I think that there were a lot of lessons for me, like I mentioned, that I'm going to take away from you as well. And I think that people will will love as well. So I appreciate you coming on. You're welcome back anytime if you'd like to come back. And uh, I'm going to check out your podcast too, because I think I can learn even more from that podcast too, where you interview others as well. So thank you so much. And I appreciate it. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Oh, thank you. I truly appreciate being here and connecting with you and sharing with your audience. Uh, have a beautiful day. I think it's early for you, so you've got the whole day ahead. I'm going to get ready. It might, I don't know if you can tell, I'm just looking at my camera. It's getting a little dark here now. I was just going to say, yeah, I noticed <laughs> in the background. <laughs> That's cool. But, okay, thank you again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much, Lou. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Find out more about us at www.scatschats.com. Special thanks to NK Arts, who designed our logo, Daddy Lackis for writing and producing our theme song, Joe Papadenitz for branding photos, and our friend Abby for social media. Scat